Welcome back. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Mr. James Carrington podcast. How y'all doing out there, man? Today will be episode number 50. Can you believe that? Our 50th episode. Um, that's quite remarkable uh, because uh, when when I started the, the show, and I think what we've had this show, I've had this show for about what? Two years now, you guys have been with me for about, some of you, or most of you, about two years now. I really didn't think that the show would last this long, two years running. And, um, of course, I don't have the time and energy to do it as much as I would like to or as frequently as I would like to. Otherwise, I probably would be around the 200 episode mark or something, right? But it's all good, it's all good. Quality over quantity, right? Anyway, as we usually do on the show, before we get into it, for those of you who are familiar, you know we always take a brief musical break, so we're going to do that. So do whatever it is you need to do to get yourself relaxed, get you a glass of wine, smoke you a, uh, roll you a blunt if that's your thing, uh, do whatever you need to do to get you in a quiet and relaxed mood because I'm going to need your attention for the next hour or so. Alright, so don't move that dial, don't change that station. Don't go anywhere, and I will be right back. All right, let's go. I'm prolific, so gifted. I'm the type that's gon' go get it, no kidding Breaking down a switch in front of your building Sitting on the steps, feeling no feelings Last night it was a cold killer You gotta keep the devil in his hole But you know how it goes I'm front line every time it's on 100 pro flow, running shoot pro 458 drop, playing bulletproof song Every few shows, I just buy some new gold Circle got smaller, everybody can't go Downtown Diamond District, jewelers like yo Hustle, holla at me, I got Cubans on the low Through the Cancun, smoking Cubans on the boat Then dock that Tulum just to smoke Look, listening to music at the Maya ruins True devotion on the bluest ocean Cruising, my cultural influence, even revolution I'm integrated vertically, y'all blew it They tell me hustle, dumb it down, you might confuse me It's like that weirdo rap you motherfuckers choose to I'm a urban legend, South Central in a certain section Can't express how I curb the tactics Guesses, evidence of a divine presence Blessings, held me down at times I seem reckless Effort, got an L but got an E for effort Stretched it, dropped him off in the Mojave Desert Then left me, ain't no answer to these trick questions Money making nip, straighten out my jewelry on my dresser Well known, flick up in jail clothes Snatch a champagne bottle from Rico's till T-shirts Whatever Playing chess, not checkers. 38 special for you, clever. See, bro, you ain't living down by the street code. Been through all these motions up and down like a seesaw. I can never view you as my equal. Fuck, I wanna hear your CD fault.
Look, I'm finna take it there. This time around, I'ma make it clear. Spoke some things into the universe and they appear. I say it's worth it, I won't say it's fair. Find your purpose or you wasting air. Though y'all be scared. Eyes open, I can see it clear. They don't make them bar none, they don't make them real. They don't make it where I'm from, they don't take it here. They ain't seeing due time, I be making meals. Bossed up in this game, I've been making deals. Get your lawyer on the phone, we can make it real. I got checks and balance, I flex dramatic. Other 50 on my neck, just my reckless habit. Ain't no on my rap, disrespect the savage. I make one phone call and the rest get handled. It's just another front step with candles. No message from the set, we accept your challenge. Welcome back, welcome back to the show everybody I hope you guys were enjoying that brief musical break <clears throat> I decided to serenade you guys with some uh, Nipsey Hustle uh, First few minutes of the show That was that track you guys just listened to It's called Victory Lap Off of his um, last album before he passed that 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 track is is my favorite track on that album and uh befittingly it was the first track on the album you know once you listen to that you just get hooked you know and um you know i i didn't know much about nipsey prior to his passing i think i heard of him one or twice uh, once or twice but I wasn't really you know because I don't really follow hip-hop like that anymore um, I just listen to whatever my 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 app suggests you know and if something has a catchy tune then I might you know I'll just listen to it but I listen mostly to Afro beats um, but um, with Nipsey you know and for and for my African listeners who don't know what I'm talking about Nipsey Hussle is a hip-hop artist or used to be a hip-hop artist here in the United States. He was based out in California. He was um, he was American, born to Eritrean parents, and you know he grew up in the in you know in Cali, you know uh, down there in L.A. Uh, self-made millionaire, you know he he came up on the streets, but he worked hard. He hustled and uh, did his grind, and you know, and became a self-made millionaire who was trying to better not only himself but everyone around him and unfortunately um, he was shot and killed uh, I think it's been about two three months now since he passed and um, you know the circumstances surrounding his demise have been mired in so much controversy and um, there's been a lot of rumors um, 
but you know the 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 way he the manner in which he passed everyone is 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 privy to it because there was video footage of it okay there was a guy who uh you know went to nipsey's um uh, he has a clothing store down there in cali or in los angeles and the gentleman supposedly was a known accomplice of nipsey he knew they knew each other and i don't know what he said to him i guess words were exchanged and this guy left the store came back and bang 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 shot him apparently walked away and then came back and pumped some more bullets into him and i mean so that to me suggests a crime of passion you know whatever nipsey said to him or whatever words were exchanged between the two of them was um so instigating it was it was so powerful that it made this guy it made him so furious and he, he you know he he shot the guy went back thought about it and was like you know what i'm not done with you yeah i gotta come back and kill you some more you understand so and i know when when it first happened you know i mean whoo man when 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 the incident happened and the news broke that he had passed um I live on the East Coast. Nipsey is in California, so he's he, you know, well, he was in California, so that's the West Coast. But the news broke on the internet, so I started researching. I was like, oh, Nipsey, you know, because I've heard Tariq Nashi talk about him on his show, but again, I never really knew who he was, or I hadn't even really heard any of his tracks, right? So then I started, you know, reading what was online, just like everybody else. And, um, you know, I learned a great deal about the man and what he had accomplished. And, you know, he, he leaves behind two kids. He was um, married to the actress or I guess they were engaged or something. I don't, either way, that was his, uh, the children of his mother, um, Lauren London, the beautiful actress Lauren London. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, just thinking that this gentleman was out there you know trying to 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 make the best out of himself and trying to better his community while at it you know because this guy was was you know he was he was doing major things down there you know he was doing major things for his city and empowering his community but you know with that uh you know with success comes envy and jealousy and you know and all the other trappings of success which are not uh, positive you know especially uh, amongst black folk you know because black folks we are the biggest haters in the world you understand we are the biggest haters in the world because we have been beaten down by all the other groups for so long and so hard so when one of us makes it then everyone else around you gets envious you know and you know envy is a human trait anyway to begin with but it's more so prevalent amongst us because of what you know the reason i just gave you you understand and i think in the beginning when 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 he was shot and people were saying that uh it was a conspiracy and um you know and that it was it was the authorities that or the powers that be that had sent this guy out to go kill him and i didn't buy into any of that 
there were people even saying that um, he he was killed because it was the pharmaceutical companies that put a hit out on him because he was going to do a documentary on Dr. Sebi. Um, Dr. Sebi, for those of you who don't know, his name is spelled S-E-B-I. He's an elderly, uh, elderly black gentleman who he was a homeopathic healer. Okay, he was all into herbs and natural remedies and stuff like that. And a couple years ago, he claimed he had cured HIV and cancers and a whole bunch of stuff. As to whether it's true or not, I I don't know. I didn't really follow Dr. Sebi's work like that. But supposedly Nipsey was about to produce a documentary on him, right? And chronicle his life history and, and you know, basically catalog it in a, in a docu-series or in a documentary. So people um, were speculating that that is why he got killed. Because Dr. Sebi himself died um, about three years ago. And black folk immediately were like, oh, they killed him. Now bear in mind, Dr. Sebi was like goddamn a hundred years old. You understand what I'm saying? So I you know, maybe they killed him, maybe they didn't. If I were a betting man, I would bet that he died of natural causes. And that's just me. And I know a lot of black people don't like to hear that because a lot of them are into conspiracy theories. You know, a lot of us are into conspiracy theories. And that is not to say that conspiracy theories don't have a place in our timeline you know as a people but sometimes you gotta analyze the situation you gotta look at a situation and and be critical and take your emotions out of it you understand and and be objective about it and i for one when dr sebi passed uh people were like oh they killed him and i i i i started looking watching videos of dr sebi dr sebi was old as shit you understand what i'm saying so you know, I'm looking at a, a a gentleman who's damn near like 90 years old, and he's died. And he's, you mean to tell me if these if the powers that be really wanted to kill him, they wouldn't have killed him when he was a young man at his prime. They would wait till he was old to do that. So I didn't buy into that. And so when Nipsey also passed, and people were like, "Oh, he died because they put a hit out on him. It was a pharmaceutical industry hit that they put out on him because he was about to." chronicle the works of dr sebi i didn't buy into that either you understand and then i i I heard people talking about the video which captured his his uh his murder and i was like but a lot of people initially bought into the the assassination uh, uh narrative i did not i did not and i think the person who best encapsulated uh, how he thought that Nipsey died or the circumstances leading to Nipsey's demise was Dr. Umar Johnson. Okay, Dr. Johnson did a, a YouTube special um, on Nipsey. Well, it wasn't a special. It was just a YouTube, uh, you know, broadcast that he did. And he talked about about 20 minutes. He 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 um he talked about Nipsey and he also attribu- he also said that he attributed his his um his killing to you know something that was uh, jealousy and envy you understand and that's exactly what I I also uh think happened you know I think that because people were saying that the guy who shot Nipsey came to Nipsey and this guy supposedly was uh, an informant 
and in Pimpi, okay? <laughs> That's what they call informants in South Africa. Um, he was an informant for the police, and he was a, a known murderer, okay? Supposedly, people knew this guy was a killer. But supposedly, at some point, him and Nipsey were in the same circle. And, uh, you know, I guess he got booted out, or, or either way, as Nipsey evolved as a human being, and became a you know a businessman with multiple ventures and projects um you know he had to probably let go of some of some people which is what happens you understand the 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 higher you get up in life the less associates you start to get or you start to surround yourself with because you got to let go of all the dead weight here you are striving to be the best or striving to become a multimillionaire or striving to be the best in your field or whatever. You're not going to hold on to your associates, the ones who, you know, are still holding you down and still can't share the same vision that you have. You understand? And and, and are not really contributing that much to your success after a certain point in time. You're going to let go of them. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to become mortal enemies. You understand? You can still be, be associates, but you have to keep them at an arm's uh, distance. For instance, you take a look at Jay-Z and the Rockefeller uh, 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 group. You know, Beanie Siegel and, and the rest of them. You know, when 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 Jay-Z was, was blowing up, he brought them along. But after a while, when he realized, look, these guys, you know, they don't share the same vision that I, you know, have. Uh, and they're probably going to end up being more of a liability than an asset. He got rid of all of them, including Dame Dash. You understand? And so now you look at Jay-Z, first hip-hop artist to attain billionaire status as of like three weeks ago. You understand? You look at him, and then you look at where Beanie Siegel is, or you look at where uh, whoever is. That was there with him, and you realize Jay Z probably did made the right business decision. Okay, it may have cost him friends, it may have cost him friendship, but if his ultimate goal was to become a billionaire or to become so successful that he would be far removed from the streets where he started, well, then everything he did up to this point, including getting rid of all those you know associates who weren't pulling their weight well then that was the right choice to make then do you guys understand what i'm saying so that's what it is and i think that so supposedly with nipsey and this gentleman i guess this gentleman who was some dusty ass nigga some bum who wasn't you know he's he first of all you're you're a killer you're a known murderer you're you're an informant for the police basically you you are just you're just a waste of air in the black community right so this guy comes around Nipsey and I don't know what Nipsey said to him and you know so the guy got mad and you, you know already he was already envious of Nipsey anyway to begin with right so he goes he gets a gun you know he catches Nipsey slipping and you know he kills him and um, you know that is one of the things that I think as black males in America you know we're always you know <laughs> look even the Bible says um and 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 i gotta find i gotta find uh i gotta find ho hold on i gotta find that quotation hold on 
there you go sorry about that i had to i had to find i i, I know there was uh there is a there is a verse in the bible somewhere that talks about anger right and about um how you speak to people or how you talk to people you understand in order not to rile them up right so um it's actually here uh where is it uh proverbs 15 verse 1 a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stares up anger you understand and that is one of those uh creeds that i've always lived my life by you understand i have been in situations where i have realized that and i can't say it's all the time but in most cases i have found you know not that i get in trouble i'm just saying i have found myself in situations in which in my mind i realized there was a need to de-escalate the situation immediately immediately you understand because the person that i was dealing with there was no telling what they would do if they got angry and by me talking to them i could realize they were about to get angry i have had business associates or business dealings with people like that okay and um and you'll be amazed you'll be amazed that just how true this bible verse is a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stares up anger some people wake up expecting a fight that's just how some people are some people wake up every morning expecting someone to say something to them so they can find an excuse to to kill them or to hurt them or to maim them you on the other hand the rational human being who's just going about his day-to-day -day existence who doesn't want any trouble it is incumbent upon you if you run into a person like that with such negativity to defuse any situation that arises between the two of you you understand for every you know you, you find yourself in a situation where you realize okay you can't really defeat this person or you're really not in the mood for an argument you understand what I'm saying uh, or even if you could square up with them toe-to-toe -to -toe, you just don't want to take it up a notch right and you'll be amazed they say something expecting you to say something back and you just say something that just catches them off guard because like you know they be like man fuck you or something like that you be like okay whatever dude just calm down you know something like that you know that will catch them off guard because they're expecting you to say something equally provocative right instead you said something contrary to the opposite i mean contrary to what they said and that'll catch them off guard and you'll be surprised how quickly that will de-escalate a situation and it is something it is something that is it's a trait which not a lot of us black males have it is something that you know you have to learn or you either have to grow up you know with it um because a lot of us are very you know short-tempered especially when it comes here in america african-american men just because of african-american males just because of the system we live in this system makes you angry from the, the moment you wake up in the morning to the time you go back to bed you know is just living in america as a black man just makes you angry you understand and so 
Uh, and that is one of the things that I think makes us see violence sometimes in the black communities you know as black males you know we have our egos and if someone steps up to you the wrong way you're like man i need to hurt this person you understand but you know if two hot-headed individuals get into a, a, a tiff but one of them decides not to be hot-headed that day i'm telling you man a lot of the of the you know black on black uh, shootings and violence that we see would be de-escalated so quickly it would it would you know but there is always that need for us to you know man up and be macho and you know show not back down and like i said there's a time and place for you not to back there's a time and place where you don't back down you understand but there's a time and place where you have to assess the situation sorry about that y'all um, but there's a time and place where you have to assess the situation and realize that you know what not today not today you know what I'll catch this guy on another day today I'm not prepared for him I'm not ready for him you understand um, and so that is the type of situation that I think Nipsey found himself in because I think and this is my theory I think that the guy came up to him I don't know what the guy was looking for maybe he was looking for money maybe he just wanted to talk either way whatever the situation was Nipsey didn't want the gentleman around him at that time at that very moment in time Nipsey didn't want him there which is understandable sometimes you see some people you're like oh god I don't have the time for this motherfucker right you know what I'm saying so but I don't know what he said to the guy obviously some fighting words were exchanged and in my opinion you know that was not a very well it's not that it wasn't a very it, it, that was not a good decision for nipsey to have made you understand that was not the time for him to have exchanged words with him because one he didn't have his bodyguards with him now if he if he had his bodyguards with him or even if nipsey himself was strapped at the time and he said something to this guy um he should have known that you know what this guy is a killer right i know him i've rolled with him i know what he's capable of so i just said these things to him he just left out of, he just walked away and said you know what i'll be back or maybe he even if he didn't say so i should in my mind think strategically militarily that this guy might come back and try to hurt me now am i ready for that am i ready to uh you know to quickly put down this threat if he comes back and tries to act on it and he wasn't nipsey wasn't so when the guy came back he caught him unawares you understand and so again it goes back to what i just said a few minutes ago you have to assess your situation you understand there's a time when you have you, you don't back down if you're if you're ready for the fight you don't back down especially if your dignity is at stake but if you think you're not ready for the fight right then and there you know if, if you then you have to uh basically calm the other person down you understand calm them down to the point where they don't hurt you because uh if you're not ready you're not ready you understand and 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 nipsey was not ready you know he was not ready this guy came shot him you know and and like i said it's it's something that you know it's a trait that you you have to work on um so that people don't take advantage of you you understand um hold on y'all 
Sorry about that, yo. I keep getting interrupted by my middle son. Uh, come here. Come here, buddy. Come here. He's upset that I took his phone away from him. Come here. It's okay. It's okay. But you've been playing with the phone all day. Just let it rest, yo. I'll give it to you again tomorrow, okay? Okay? Are you hungry? What do you want to eat? I want to eat fish. You want to eat some of the fish I grilled? Mm -hmm. Okay, go upstairs and tell mommy to give you some fish, okay? That's my boy. Who loves you? There you go. Yeah, people. So, you know, um, yeah, Nip Nipsey wasn't, wasn't ready. You know, and I, 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 I have seen this countless times. Whether it's in fiction or in real life, right? It, either you, 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 you'll be watching a movie and someone will have a gun, you know, pointing at someone. Uh, and they'll be like, you know, like, yo, man, where's money, man? And then the person who has the gun pointed at him might say something like, man, fuck you, man. I give you, you suck my dick or something. And you're like, really? <laughs> Like, what is the point? You know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, if you guys... If, you, if you've seen this old movie, Menace to Society, right? This was an old movie. came out back in the 90s. We were teenagers when that movie came out. And uh, we saw it. And there's a scene in there where... Um, the main character's dad, right? The main character's father... He's talking about his father. His late father. So the main character's father is playing cards with a group of his friends. And his father asks um, one of the his friends at the table, Hey man, where's my money, man? You owe me some money or something. The guy's like, man, I just got back from jail. I'll, I told you I'll give you your money when I get it. And then, you know... He asks him again, like basically they're going back and forth. You can tell the thing is getting heated, right? And then at one point, his father pulls a gun. And the other guy asks him, what, what are you going to shoot me or something? Suck my dick or something, he says to him. And I'm like, so of course he ends up shooting him and killing him right then and there. And I'm sitting there like, do people really do that in real life? <laughs> Like, you see him pointing the gun at you. He's got the drop on you. He's your friend. You know what he's capable of. You know he's killed people in the past for less or something. And you're going to give him an answer like that? Like, that is stupid. That is dumb. You know what I'm saying? Now your dumb ass is dead. And they're about to go bury you. <laughs> All because you didn't know when to just... You know, instead of saying something to provoke the other person, you could have said something to be like, you know what, don't worry about it, though. I'll, I'll have your money for you tomorrow. And you could have lived to see another day, but no. <laughs> you wanted to prove that you had balls. You wanted to prove that you had cojones. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, but that's that's just my opinion on the whole issue. And like I said, I've, I've been in, you know, I've encountered people like that. 
And there's one thing I know, especially like when it comes to, you know, business dealings and, you, you know, you owe people money. And when it comes to like money and or talking to someone about their girl or someone's wife, you know, this, uh, certain words, you, you have to be really selective in the words that you use when you're talking to people about things that they're passionate about. You understand? And, you know, unless you know you're scrapped or unless you know... You know you're ready for them in case they decide to do something stupid well don't give out a stupid response don't 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 say something to piss them off if you're not ready for the comeback you know oh man anyway so that was you know that was that's that was the case with nipsey and uh i hope i saw a little bit of the funeral and you know it was just so heartbreaking to see his daughter and his son and his baby mama you know lauren up there and it was just so sad man it was just so sad you know and then his mom came to uh talk about him and man nipsey hustle's mom is one attractive lady i saw her i was like god damn that is his mom you know what i think his mom is african-american but his dad is eritrean i think i think either way his mom was a nice little not little but nice light-skinned uh red bone older lady but you can tell she has kept herself you know like taking good care of herself and it's just you know the grace and the manner in which she spoke like just so elegant you know what i'm saying there was nothing ratchet about her at all there was no hood ratishness oozing out of her i was like wow such just so full of grace and i don't know if it's it's the way she was processing her son's death but she carried herself with an air of dignity you know and uh, I loved it. I loved it. You know. Anyway. Uh, so for today's show. If you guys will recall. Um, when uh, when I closed out episode 49. I was talking about Venezuela. And what was going on there. And um, I basically gave you guys my version. Of what was going on. But then I really wanted you guys to listen to Dr. Or listen to interviews and also some audio clips from Dr. Wilma Leon's show because Dr. Leon, as I've pointed out to you guys in the past on previous episodes, uh, he's a political scientist and he has a show and his show is very informative. So he did a whole expose thing on Venezuela and he had guests call in and he had, you know, people on the boots on the ground in Venezuela and he was talking to them and he really dissected what was going on in Venezuela. Okay, so I wanted you guys to hear that point of, you know, from from his point of view, a more scholarly point of view, but I didn't get the chance to uh, give you guys those clips in episode 49 and I promised you I would do that in today's episode so before uh we get into it let's take another brief musical break and um when we come back you will you know i will start playing the clips for you and bear in mind that it might sound a little uh old because it's pre-recorded um but just flow with it just flow with it you understand so don't go nowhere let's take a brief musical break and i will be right back 
Side of the issues where you are, Sirius XM 126 Urban View. And uh, real quick, folks, go to um, go to RonWillIgniteYou.com. Go to RonWillIgniteYou.com. You can get the full breadth of Team Ignite and uh, the offerings that they have in terms of um, uh, diversity training. And there's a broad breadth of um, programs that they offer at ronwillignitejou.com and then you can also go to the igniteherconferences.com and there's a commercial posted about this on my Facebook page. You can go and check that out. Alright. Let's forge ahead. 
There weren't enough military defectors for Juan Guaido to declare victory on Tuesday. He readily admits that himself. Speaking to a crowd in Caracas, Guaido admitted that he did not have the military defectors on his side to declare victory during the unrest that he called for this past Tuesday. Quote, we have to acknowledge that yesterday there weren't enough pro-Guaido military defectors, the National Assembly president and opposition leader said. He added, we have to insist that all the armed forces show up together. We are not asking for a confrontation. We are not asking for a confrontation among brothers. It's the opposite. We just want them to be on the side of the people, end quote. According to Max Blumenthal, D.C. Embassy Protectors Force, the Protectors Force, uh, the, uh, they, uh, they uh, had Guaido's ambassador flee as a failed coup attempt in Venezuela came to uh, a screeching halt. His ambassador, supposedly Carlos Vecchio, was in Washington, D.C. in front of the Venezuelan embassy. He was supposed to take it over, but the... Uh, Embassy Protectors Force ran him, literally ran him out of town. What's going on on the ground right now in Venezuela? Well, for insight into this, we turn to my next guest. She is with the campaign to end U.S. and Canadian sanctions against Venezuela, Terry Matson. Terry, welcome back to Inside oh, the Issues. Hello. How are you? How are you today? I'm, I'm okay. I'm actually, I'm pretty good. You know, it's, it's calm and peaceful and a beautiful Saturday afternoon here in Venezuela. Well, they just showed us... Um, Ron, you can put your headphones if you want to hear this. Uh, they just showed us on... Uh, what is that? Fox News footage of a whole bunch of unrest people in the streets. It looked to me to be the same footage they were showing from Guaido at the bridge, at the overpass, allegedly on the Air Force Base, taking over the Air Force Base, it seemed to be the same footage. Well, that's what I've heard. I've continually asked people back in the States, yourself included, what's, what's happening in the media. I mean, we, we do on occasion tune into CNN here, and, you know, it's a completely antithetical uh, newsreel compared to what our reality here is on the ground. So it doesn't surprise me that they have, you know, one morning's set of video that they're constantly replaying. Uh, it was reported today that Guaido, even though his clarion call uh, failed on Tuesday, that he was calling for people to come out in the streets today. And I did not have the volume up because of this monitor in the studio, but from what I could discern from what I'm seeing on television, they're making it appear as though he's gone to the microphone again, calling for people to come into the streets in Venezuela. They made it appear as though that was happening, but from what you're telling me, uh, that's not what's going on. Really, it's pretty quiet, and I'll tell you, I'm living in a in a working class district, uh, mix, politically mixed working class district, not far from Miraflores, and we have not heard anything, what heard or seen anything. And my, my presumption would be if there was a large rally on the east side of the city supporting Guaido, specifically in the Altamira district. There would have been a call on national television today, or at least this is the practice, for, uh, for pro-government, uh, anti-U.S. intervention uh, citizens to 
rally at Miraflores. Miraflores is about a 10, 15 minute walk from where I'm staying. And we can easily hear when crowds are gathering in front of the palace. And um, it's quiet today. Okay. So it's hard to believe there's anything of substantial size, if anything at all, much less of substantial size, happening in the pro Guaido camp. That doesn't mean there isn't. But there's absolutely no response here, you know, in my district, and there typically would be. In, in my talking to journalist Ricardo Vaz, who I believe you, you are familiar with, oh yes, I know. yes, he was he was explaining that the the dynamic in terms the the, the uh, uh, economic dynamic in terms of east and west, and that east is where. Uh, your middle class, upper middle class people tend to live. That uh, that it, it wasn't an accident that Guaido went started this in East uh, Caracas, I think it is. Uh, but trying to get that to move west is a Herculean task. Oh, it's it's you know it's there's like a line right down the right through the city. The, the east side is upper middle class, business class, and even wealthier. And, um, and white. Predominant, and white, yes, and white. And so this is one of the things that, you know, we feel is really important with the anti-sanctions campaign to point out is that so much of the, uh, the sanctions against Venezuela are are race-related, and they're targeted at a very, very specific demographic within the country. And it does you know, go right down, um, you know, racial demographics. The the people on the east side of the city have the ability to, you know, have access to pretty much whatever they need. So they are suffering the sanctions to a slight degree. I mean, they're feeling the increase in prices because things cannot be imported and the scarcity and all of that. And some of them aren't suffering at all. But on the west side, where it is... You know, Latino, African, Caribbean descendants, people of color, it's a much, much different story. And so you can really, really see the demographic that the sanctions are targeted at. But at the same time, this demographic, and this is the demographic that I'm living among, they are particularly politically savvy. They are the direct beneficiaries of the Bolivarian revolution and continued project and they they understand what's happening and they are loath to give up uh, you know the progress of, of, of the country the last 20 years not that there aren't inconveniences and difficulties at this point in time but they are the ones who directly benefited from the revolution they know it and they you know you can't take that away from people you can't you can't undo that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they, they know what's going on and i think you and i had talked about this before that you know they really clearly understand what's going on the street is very calm and people are friendly they are resilient and they're very politically savvy and and they're very strong and that is something that that the u.s population doesn't doesn't I understand because we don't share that enough with them back home. But that's the pulse of the street. Secretary of State Pompeo on Tuesday, as Juan Guaido was calling for uh, his his supporters to rally, and he was claiming that he had uh, the military behind him, and he was at this 
uh, Air Force Base when actually he was standing on a, as I understand it, he was standing on a bridge in front of the Air Force Base. He was never able actually to set foot on the base because the soldiers remained loyal to President Maduro and the shots that they claimed were being fired were actually being fired from a few of the defectors that were in uh, Guaido's camp at the Air Force Base as opposed to those on the base firing back at Guaido. Uh, here's my, here's the, the, the I, I set that up to say this. Secretary of State Pompeo comes on national television and says that Nicolas Maduro was preparing to leave the country. He was going to leave and flee to Cuba, but he was talked out of it by the Russians. He said this on uh, Wolf Blitzer's Situation Room on CNN. Your, your uh, understanding of that reality. But it's hard. It's hard to believe, and it's also, you know, here playing out as fake news on Pompeo's part. You know, there's a very much a propaganda war going on, and I would say on both sides. You know, mm -hmm. countering each other's narrative, which is understandable, um, but really hard to believe being here on the ground and watching how events unfolded and I actually think at one point you did ask me is Maduro even in the country and I said well he was on national TV last night <laughs> and you know and I was in a I was in a location where I could actually hear the entourage and security approaching you know the the the, the radio station so it's you know I have to say, it's fearful as a U.S. citizen being down here outside the U.S. and watching the media that you all are seeing and hearing in the States. It's really quite horrifying. And, um, and I just hope more and more people, you know, tune into, into programs like yours to just understand, even if they, even if their politics are different, that they at least are hearing, you know, the alternative storyline. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Very, it's horrifying to be sitting here, you know, outside the U.S. and seeing what people are being told back home. It's quite scary, I have to say. It, it is amazing to me the conversations that I have with people talking about Venezuela, and they all want to tell me that, that of course, the United States has to go in. Maduro is a dictator. Uh, he's killing his own people. He's starving his own people. All of this, and I just shake my head and, and laugh, and I ask them, well, where... Where are you getting this information from? And then, I mean, I, it's, it's a rhetorical question because I know the answer to the question. But I said, well, when I, you know, and I asked him, well, when, when, did, when was the last time you spoke with someone from Venezuela? Oh, well, I haven't done that. Oh, well, when was the last time you spoke with someone who's in Venezuela? Oh, well, I haven't done that. Well, uh, you know, so that, 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 let me, let me do this. Can, can you stay with me? Sure. Okay, great. We're up against a break. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Wormerleon here. Inside the Issues is where you are. Sirius XM 126, Urban View. Terry Matson is my guest, and she's with Campaign to End U.S. and Canadian Sanctions Against Venezuela. Um, and, folks, I'm trying my best. I don't care what your political perspective is. The truth is the truth. And what you're hearing right now from Terry, who's on the ground in Venezuela, is the truth all right all right so that was uh <clears throat> that was part 
part one of uh, Dr. Wilma Leon's interview with Terry Madsen. And we're immediately going to pivot into the second part of the interview. All right. So just sit still. We're back. We're back. 30 minutes, 30 minutes past the hour. This is Coco, Sonny Stitt, uh, on alto. John Lewis on piano. Let me go right back because Terry's back, and I got to I gotta grab her while I got her. Uh, Terry, thank you so much. No, no, no. I, shoot, you're on a cell phone in, in Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, th- this, is, this is live talk radio. These, these things happen. Um, so, oh, uh, so I want to, there are two other things I want to get to, if, if, if at all possible. One is um, Eric Prince and the, 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 the um, uh, infamous leader of Blackwater has been knocking on the door at the White House trying to convince members of the Trump administration to fund a mercenary group, 500 soldiers, I think it was 50, no, 5,000, 5, thank you, 5,000 soldiers, $50 million he's trying to get to, uh, to overthrow Maduro. Uh, talk about that because that sounds eerily reminiscent of the um, Iran-Contra affair and it's no coincidence that Elliot Abrams who was behind Iran-Contra is Trump's point person in Venezuela and I don't hear mainstream media connecting those dots. Well, you know, we have this $5,000, this $5,000, this 5,000 number of troops popping up again. That's the same number that John Bolton had on his little yellow pad mm-hmm. a while back, you know, for the for the media all to see. So I don't think the number's coincidental at all. Um, the concern, I think this is a really personal concern for me, having spent time uh, in Honduras as, as well as here in Venezuela, more time, much more time here, that you know, you're looking at a private business raising a private military to fight a private war for transnational corporations, specifically oil. And... oh I think we lost her again. Okay. Um, so where I think she's going with that is you've got a private interests funded by private corporations trying to raise money to overthrow a democratically elected president in a sovereign nation called Venezuela. And why? Oil, for one, and other, I think there are other strategic minerals that are there in Venezuela. And again, folks, you don't hear anybody else connecting these dots. And you've got to pay attention to this. You've got to pay attention to this. History is replete with American interests going into other countries and just effing up their government. 1952. In Iran, they're about to create the same power vacuum 
inventor trying to create the same power vacuum. Terry, you there? I'm here. Okay. I, I just finished my thought. I, I really apologize. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, this, this, this notion of raising a, a private military for private corporations, well, publicly traded corporations, transnational corporations, you know, that's something we should all be really concerned about. I mean, I'm pleased to see as many U.S. citizens should be, or citizens around the world, that there is some movement in the U.S. Congress, a few people stepping up and saying only Congress has the constitutional right to declare war, and that's a really great thing to see. But if this war is played out with a private military for private industry, what's the control on that? How do we stop that? You know, we know that there's private militaries in working in Honduras and Colombia specifically. We know the heinous crimes committed by those militaries. And, um, you know, let's just hope that Eric Prince doesn't and Elliot Abrams don't have the same, you know, designs on Venezuela. But I don't know how we control that. You know, that's something that we as citizens need to figure out. I mean, it's a great thing that, con that members of Congress are stepping up and saying no war without congressional consent. But what if it turns out to be a private war? And just to make another, to connect another dot, Eric Prince's sister is Betsy DuVos, who is the uh, Secretary of Education in this country, and she is trying to do to the educational system in the U.S. what her brother is trying to do with the military: privatize it, put it, privatize, put it in private hands. Exactly. And that's pretty much the vision for the hemisphere and eventually the globe, in my opinion, that this massive privatization versus, you know, the versus public funding. I had asked you uh, one of the earlier times that we spoke, I was really confused about Justin Trudeau and why Canada is uh, is backing uh, the U.S. play here and, and, and is part of the Lima group. And um, I found a piece by uh, Professor Donald Kingsbury uh, called From Middle Power to Regime Change Specialist Canada and the Venezuela Crisis. And he says Canada's image as a moderate force seeking multilateral dialogue on the situation of Venezuela is little more than rhetoric veiling Ottawa's increasingly interventionist role in Latin America. And he, in this piece, gives a very clear um, perspective on Canada's role in Latin America, and there is a long historic role of Canada in Latin America, and he puts it in the context of good cop, bad cop. That I've been watching Canada lately. <clears throat> I've been looking at Trudeau's Canada lately. And just like Dr. Leon is saying, Canada has sort of been there, lurking in the background, pretending they're a pacifist nation, pretending they don't have their hands in the cookie pot. They've been pretending they're the peaceful neighbor to the north of the United States. Oh, it's us, Canada. We, we're pacifists. We're lovers, not warriors. Make love, not war. That type shit. Okay? 
they, 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 that's what they've, they, for the longest time, that is the image they've projected to the world. <clears throat> but if you look there, but if you, if you look at them closely, you scrutinize them closely, they've been doing some shady shit behind the scenes. I was reading an article, a news report, a couple days ago, about how they were getting frustrated uh, with the United States because the U.S. was taking forever uh, to assist them or was taking forever to uh, kind of help them with uh, the detainment of that or the detention of that lady, that Chinese lady who works for uh, Huawei, which is a phone company in China. Let me see if I can pull up that article real quick. Hold on. All right. So I found the article. It says it was in, uh, in Reuters. It says, Fed Up Canada tells U.S. to help with China crisis or forget about favors. In essence, implying that China, I mean, uh, Canada has been helping the U.S. with some favors. Uh, and I'm sure most of which we don't know, right? So the article goes on to say, Canada is leaning on the United States to help settle a dispute with China, which has started to block imports of vital Canadian commodities amid a dispute over a detained Huawei executive. Huawei is a company that makes cell phones in China. They are the equivalent of Apple in China. Okay, folks? All right. Article goes on to say, In a sign of increasing frustration at what it sees as a lackluster U.S. response, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government is signaling it could withhold cooperation on major issues. China has upped the pressure on Canada in recent weeks over the arrest of Huawei Technologies Company Limited Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou arrested last December on a U.S. warrant. China then went on, uh, it says here, it halted, China, uh, it halted Canadian canola imports and last week suspended the permits of two major pork producers. So basically, Canada, this Chinese lady who is the CFO of Huawei was in Canada, I guess doing business or whatever, and she was arrested, okay? Even though she wasn't on American soil, she was arrested because uh, the U.S. Department of Justice issued uh, a warrant out for her arrest. And I guess the U.S. and Canada have some sort of agreement where if the U.S. is looking for someone and they just so happen to be on Canadian soil, Canadian authorities can go ahead and arrest that person. So Canada arrested this lady without thinking about the implications that it would have for Canada. You see, and China retaliated, as you can uh, uh, imagine, or as the article says. It halted Canadian canola imports and last week suspended the permits of two major pork producers. So Canada is feeling it now. And like I said in the last episode, for those of you who cared enough to listen to it, China ain't fucking around no more. Okay? China is not fucking around with these Western nations anymore. 
China is sending clear signals that listen, we are a major superpower, okay, just like you guys, and we will not bow down or kowtow to Western imperialism or any of its nuances anymore. So, article goes on to say Beijing is refusing to allow a Canadian trade delegation to visit forcing officials to use video conference calls as they try to negate a major threat to commodity exports. With no cards to play against China without risking significant, significant economic damage, Canada has launched a full court press in Washington, which is negotiating its own trade deal with Beijing. And the results have been meager. It's a very challenging situation when we raise it with the Americans. They just say, oh, dealing with the Chinese is tough, said a Canadian government source. So, there you have it. When you lie with dogs, you get fleas. Trudeau was not smart about this. I guess in a, you know, in an attempt to kiss Trump's ass, he decided to, you know, and, and like I said, Canada, they, they've been in the background trying to pretend they're neutral, trying to pretend they're like Switzerland, they don't dabble, but they, they've been doing some shit uh, in the background this whole time. You understand? And that shit is all starting to come to light. I don't know, you know, who they think they are. They're starting to flex their little teeny tiny muscles. But if you guys will recall, uh, last year, they got into an incident with the, uh, with the Saudi regime too. In which they expelled a couple of Saudi students who were coming to Canada for college. Uh, they expelled them or wouldn't allow them into the country something they did and the Saudis retaliated and so Canada needs to realize that it really doesn't have much leverage on this international stage okay by it flexing its muscles and trying to align itself with, with the Trump administration at the end of it all when it's all said and done you guys are the ones that are going to suffer Canada as clearly is the is the is the case in this in this scenario that I just read out to you guys, you guys are going to be left holding the bag. It it just amuses me how people you know uh, go and ask Theresa May in 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 Britain how that whole Brexit thing is going uh, is working for her. Go and ask all those so-called Brexiters. How that's working for them. Any country or any person or party or political entity which decides that, listen, we're going to adopt this tough stance that Trump is adopting in the U.S. We're going to adopt the same model and apply it in our everyday dealings with other countries. They're going to find out the hard way. You are not America. If America punches someone, and America is a very strong opponent, if America punches someone, America is like a heavyweight. If the world is a boxing stage, America is in the super heavyweight. So if you're not in the super heavyweight, if you're a welterweight, if you're a lightweight, if you're a featherweight, if you're a bantamweight, don't think you can 
punch someone to the same and cause the same amount of damage as America can. You gotta know your level, my friend. You got to know your level. So Canada is over here, they're in the background, and you know, first they did the thing with the Saudis, now they're in this thing with the with the Chinese, and supposedly they're down there in Venezuela too. They're part of the group that is imposing the bans or the sanctions on Venezuela. They are part of the problem in Venezuela. You understand? So Canada needs to be careful. Canada needs to be careful. Because if you wanna if you wanna go along and and and, and follow America's model, like I said, go and ask. Theresa May when 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 Trump was running for president and he was telling the the the, the British yeah go ahead and exit from the EU it's gonna be a very simple process just go ahead exit you'll be you'll be better off how many years has it been now if you listen to any advice that this guy dispenses to you if you listen to any advice that Trump dispenses to you well, if it doesn't work out, and more than likely it won't work out, you have no one to blame but yourself. That being said, let's go back to the good professor who's talking to Terry Matson and let's see what exactly it is that Canada is doing down there in Venezuela. Canada! Ladies and gentlemen. Oops, having a technical difficulties there hold on a second I asked you uh, one of the earlier times that we spoke I was really confused about Justin Trudeau and why Canada is uh, is backing uh, the US play here and, and, and is part of the Lima group and um, I found a piece by uh, Professor Donald Kingsbury uh, called from middle power to regime change specialist Canada and the Venezuela crisis and he says Canada's image as a moderate force seeking multilateral dialogue on the situation of Venezuela is little more than rhetoric veiling Ottawa's increasingly interventionist role in Latin America and he in this piece gives a very clear um, perspective on Canada's role in Latin America and there is a long historic role of Canada in Latin America and he puts it in the context of good cop bad cop that Canada and the US are working in concert the US is taking the lead role while Canada is in the shadows really working on behalf of the United States and its own interests. Well, I'm not sure Canada is in the shadows anymore. They they've kind of stepped and out stepped out of the shadow and are pretty oh overtly uh, aligned. I mean, I would say partners in crime with the United States. You know, the Canadians um, they have some significant mining company interests in Central America. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about that a whole lot in the, in the North American press. But they're protecting their own transnational corporate interests as well, and particularly mining interests. And, of course, Venezuela sits on not just oil, but gold and diamonds and, and, and minerals necessary for the high-tech industry as well. So... Um, and the Canadians have a lot of interest throughout the Americas. 
And they, they, until now, in my opinion, they have had a much softer, much more uh, friendly, so to speak, foreign policy. And I think we're all seeing that that really is no longer the case. And, and they're standing side by side with the United States, and, and as far as the Lima Group is concerned, are pretty much leading, overtly leading those efforts. So, you know, <laughs> partners in crime. Partners in crime and connecting another dot. When you talk about gold mining interests, you've got Tony Rodham, who is Hillary Clinton's brother, and he has been. Uh, a source of controversy in Haiti and we know the relationship between Haiti and Venezuela and I believe that the gold mining company that uh, that he works with is based in Canada so uh, folks these uh, 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 Terry am, am I off in connecting these dots am, am I a, am I a tinfoil hat wearing conspiratorial theorist here no I, I think I think you're uh, you're heading in the right direction it is. You know, the other thing to consider with the with the, the other thing to consider with the gold is that you know when when BRICS was created, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South South Africa, the whole uh, response to the second global crash created by Wall Street in 2008, you know, this alternative global financing system, the, the Chinese have made a really big push since about 2009 to return to a global gold standard. And so it's very interesting that there's, you know, this massive push for gold mining. And also it's interesting that the Venezuelans are not allowed to repatriate their gold from the Bank of England. And of course the Venezuelans... There goes England again. The Bank of England supposedly is sitting on Venezuelan gold and doesn't want to give their gold to them. Now, tell me that doesn't just irk your soul. Tell me that doesn't irk your soul. And you know, let me, let me repeat again. For those of you who didn't listen to last, the last episode, please do. That was episode 48. When I spoke about how power is moving from the west to the east. That was a very, very good show. And had a, a lot of facts there. And I spoke about England and her role back in the day, how she exploited just about every nation on earth, and how she is where she is because of um, the things she did in the past. So now, and, and apparently they're still doing it. You, you, you have the Venezuelans' gold. They want their gold back and you don't want to give it to them. Isn't that a declaration of war right there? You have my money. I'm telling you I want my money back and you're telling me you're not going to give it to me. Isn't that a declaration of war? Aren't those fighting words right there, people? Hmm? And you see, this is, this is, this is what Western nations do. This is what they do. This is what they do to nations that are filled with people of color. And when you talk about it, oh, you're, 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 why are you complaining so much? Oh, you know. Hmm. 
Venezuelans are have a lot of trade with China. So gold is, in my opinion, gold is key, and I don't think we talk enough about it in the state as to what's happening with gold and why. Uh, final point, and I, 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 let's see if we can get this in quickly, and, and then I'll let you go because you've been so gracious with your time uh, and your cell phone battery. Um, there, <laughs> there's an interesting piece in Mint Press News, uh, Whitney Webb, uh, anti, and this really, uh, anti-war voices on both sides warn of coming CIA pro, uh, provocate, provocate, uh, Provocat- Provocateurs. Well, that's okay. To provocations. 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 Thank you. Um, coming CIA uh, provocation to kill Guaido. Blame Maduro with Guaido rapidly losing momentum and credibility after Tuesday's failed coup. Lopez and... I can see that happening. I can see that happening. I can see the CIA killing Guaido. And blaming and using that using that as an excuse to go into Venezuela. I can see that. Is U.S. backers may turn on their own if they think it will benefit or energize their cause, or if it could be used to set the stage for foreign military intervention. This is Whitney Webb, whose work I respect greatly. Uh, Mintpress.com. I think it came out yesterday or today. Um, are you hearing any of this in Venezuela? Well, I mean, people talk about it, yes. And, um, you know, I wouldn't put anything past the, the CIA. But, um, you know, sure, it's a possibility. I'll tell you, just on a personal note, um, late March, early April, I had organized uh, a delegation of 14 people uh, to come here and uh, study the effects of the sanctions, how the government was responding, and and, and how communities were responding, what the impacts are and what the responses have been. And uh, we had four countries, uh, Costa Rica, United States, Canada, Turkey represented, uh, ages 25 to 75 on the trip. And the, I don't know, maybe half of us were traveling on U.S. passports. It was quite amazing that the Venezuelan government issued visas and took the risk to have the U.S. passport holders come here. And the reason for that is, is just exactly what's now being said about Guaido, that, you know, these intelligence agencies are quite capable of creating events. And us being here as U.S. citizens could easily, and I'm not saying that any of us were of, you know, so high profile enough to... uh, you know, create news. But you can see how if something had happened to any of the U.S. passport holders, I mean, even something as simple as having, losing your cell phone or, you know, something minor happening to you, how that could possibly have been escalated into some sort of international event and an excuse for interventionism. Let, 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 me, so, let, let, me, let me quickly interject. I went to Iran in 2015 for a human rights conference. And... They had us all together. There were about 25, I think, I'll say 25 in our delegation. And one of the things that they said to it, they, they, they could not stress this enough. If you leave the hotel, please let us know before you leave where you're going and what it is you intend to do. 
It is not that we are trying to restrict your movement. You are free to come and go as you please. But we cannot afford to have something happen to you outside of our knowledge. You could step off the curb and get hit by a cab. And that could be used based upon the current political dynamic. That narrative could be quickly spun. And we can't afford to have that happen. So all we, all we ask you that you do is just tell us where you're going and we will help you get to wherever it is you want to go and do whatever it is you want to do. But we can't answer questions that we don't about events that we don't know are happening. Exactly. No, it's the same. It's the same situation here. And, it's, you know, we recall, you know, the incident for the invasion of Grenada was to go and protect and save the students. Right. Supposedly. Right. And so, you know, it was the case as with your delegation to Iran and our recent one here to Venezuela. We did not want to become the excuse for him. And let me interject real quick. Most of you probably didn't catch that. But. <clears throat> the lady was pointing out how um, this was in 19 was it 1984 or 1985 anyway it was at some point in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was president okay and there was um, there was a university down there in the island of Grenada is Grenada even an island anyway wherever there was um there was a university down there in Grenada, which was attended by, I think it was a medical university, which was attended by, you know, American students used to go there, okay? And uh, something happened, I can't remember the details, but I, I, I saw the documentary on it. And uh, supposedly, you know, the, the U.S. government came out and said that, um, um, the American students that were there on the island had been kidnapped or they were in danger or something. So because of that, that was an excuse for America to invade Grenada. Okay. And um, bear in mind, uh, so at the time, I think, I think that they said at the time, Ronald Reagan's ratings or his approval rate amongst the u.s public was at an all-time low or he wasn't doing really good in the ratings this was based on a documentary i watched several years ago so ronald reagan was like you know oh man maybe i could use this as an opportunity to boost my ratings so what he did was there was a naval carrier group that was returning from the Middle East or somewhere in the world, right? They were coming back to the States. And he diverted, he told them to go to Grenada instead. And so they went over there. U.S. Marines landed on the island to very little resistance, very little resistance. But used that as an opportunity to invade the island killed you know some of the grenadians killed some of their military killed civilians too i mean go on youtube and go just go youtube uh the grenada invasion or the invasion of grenada i mean it was 
and 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 later on, it was later on that you know it came out that the university students really weren't in danger, the way the the American media portrayed it to the public. But then again, you know, it doesn't take much to sell fake news to the American public. All you gotta tell the American public is, you know, oh, there's an American in danger somewhere, and. We gotta put on a show of force, and because you know th this is what we like as Americans. This is what we like. It's all about machismo. Yes, sending the Marines, sending the Navy SEALs. Let us go kick their ass. Let's go kick their ass. You know. So it, it, it takes very little to to gin up the voter base and have them all, you know, start shedding those fake patriotic tears and yeah, sending the army. Let's go get them. You know. So Ronald Reagan took advantage of that and like I said it was later on when it was all said and done and all those poor Grenadians had died um, it was later on that it was revealed that the American students even they were kind of surprised when the Marines landed on the island and they were like what is all this you we're fine we're not even in danger we're not you know but you know it was kind of like American government was like yeah yeah you were you are in danger, so we came to save you, whether you say so or not. So that was that, you know. And and I remember when I watched the documentary, I was like, "That is just so wrong, man. That is so wrong." And you know, one of these days, I will do a show. Uh, I will do an episode on that. I will do an episode on that. You know. Anyway, let's go back. So that's what. So what the lady was saying was, you know, she and a couple of other, you know, American citizens were there in Venezuela to try to document what was going on, and they were given strict warnings uh, that, hey, listen, we don't want anything to happen to you guys, especially those of you who have American passports. We don't want anything to happen to you while you're here. Don't go off uh, seeking some adventure and. You know, getting your toes stubbed and, you know, just because you got a scratch from something, next thing you know, there is a, an aircraft carrier on the horizon about to bomb the shit out of us. Because your country is already looking for an excuse to come here anyway. Let us not do something that will give them one. You understand? That is what she was saying. And she used the Grenada incident or the invasion of Grenada as uh, as an example. So precedent has been set. It's what she was trying to say. It, it has happened in the past. And like I said, when you guys, if, if you get the chance, just go on YouTube and go type in the history of the invasion of Grenada. And you, after you watch it, you're just going to, all you can do is just shake your head. That is all you'll be able to do. All right. Anyway, let's go back to the uh, to the show. Interventionism on any level, and so you know, so this scenario, this scenario that is you know spreading through media and on the the ground with something potentially happening to Guaido. That's that's not really a new scheme, um, but I, I I wouldn't. I, I, I would say it's it's possible. Okay. Anything's possible right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let me, Terry Matson. thank you so much. You're with the Campaign to End U.S. and Canadian Sanctions Against Venezuela. Thank you so much. I hope my questions uh, and the issues that I raise are, are, are relevant 
and uh, are what are what you believe are, are accurate and what people need to understand. You you've been more than gracious with your time today, and uh, I hope I can impose upon you again. All right, folks. I just wanted you guys to hear that, and um, so that we could use that to wrap up this episode. Now I know when I started the episode I said I wasn't going to I was I was going to talk on a lot of issues I was just going to rapid fire through a lot of issues but as you can see I ended up just talking about two things and um but that you know again some of these things involve you know an in-depth discussion and analysis you understand and uh so that is why these things you know they usually run off over you know more than an hour because i really want you guys to to really understand what is going on and to really have a greater understanding uh, and appreciation for what's going on you know i could basically just glance uh, uh you know bounce off the issues one at a time and, but then you wouldn't really you know uh, grasp the fullness of of what's at stake or, or what's what's in play so anyway that being said uh, i'm gonna wrap up the show today and uh i will immediately start working on a new episode and that'll be episode number 50 episode number 50 we have come a long way so until i speak to you guys again until you hear from me again be safe don't do what i wouldn't do and i will speak to you guys in a few days this is your boy mr james carrington aka jc signing off welcome back welcome back so <clears throat> yeah I, I i'm sure you guys weren't expecting to hear my voice again but Again, as I explained to you earlier, this was pre-recorded. What you just listened to was pre-recorded and was supposed to have been part of episode 49, okay? But uh, episode 49 was, was long and I didn't want to tag all of this on. It would have probably ended up being like a three-hour episode. So that's why you hear me saying that I'll be working on episode 50, but it turns out this is episode 50. Anyways... But so hopefully uh, you guys have come to uh, or have a fuller grasp of what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, and, um, and so that was, that was the episode on Venezuela that I, I was trying to bring to you guys or I've finally been able to bring to you guys. Obviously things have quieted down there because we haven't heard of anything uh, happening there uh, in the past month or so. I think it's been about two months since we've heard about anything going on in Venezuela. So Juan Guaido's attempt to oust Maduro is not working, obviously. And um, the president that we have here in the states here now, being the, uh, uh, the 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 short attention span president that we has, he's already moved on already. It looks like and has set his sights on a, a new nemesis, Iran. And I'm sure you guys uh, have been watching the news. You're seeing all the the posturing that has been going on down there around the Straits of Hormuz. You know, the U.S. has mobilized the whole carrier fleet um, down there. 
and they're accusing Iran of, of sabotaging oil tankers and, and, and you know Iran is saying we didn't do anything and it's just a mess and you know what I think is happening is you know America is basically getting on a war footing ready to go to war with Iran um, a lot of people don't seem to agree with my assessment of it so you know I don't have a crystal ball and I can't predict with certainty that we shall go to war with Iran but that's what it looks like to me that's what it looks like from from where I'm standing you don't mobilize a whole carrier aircraft carrier fleet you know to one part of the region uh, just for shits and giggles because it takes money to do that okay every time those sailors are out there with all the ships and all the military personnel not to mention the 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 extra stuff they're sending over there that that's that's money that's eaten into your military budget you understand so you don't and you don't do that just for shits and giggles you understand but with the kind of president that we have you never know um just a couple days ago iran shot down a u.s drone that was spying on them and it's become a he say she say thing america said the drone was outside of iranian airspace the iranians claim it was in iranian airspace and that's why they shot it down either way the point is they had the capability to shoot it down which doesn't happen very often okay u.s military drones are not shot down from the sky i think this is the, the only the second time i've ever heard of it happening before maybe it happens a lot and they don't tell us but i mean they told us about this one the iranians themselves came out and said we shot the drone down the u.s could have denied emphatically you understand but the u.s admitted to its drone being shot down so but i have to say that um president trump you know supposedly had ordered retaliatory strikes in response to that and then at the last minute he backed down and said no i don't want you guys to do that which kind of seemed like maybe he got in touch with his humane side or for once he was starting to think like a real president i don't know what it is or maybe he's just doing all this just to throw us off i don't know i really don't know but that is what we get with with our current president that is what we get you know a whole degree of uncertainty and um so that is that is what we're dealing with that is the the the, the cards we're playing with people but anyway i see that we're almost uh at the hour and 45 minute mark so i will wrap the show up i will wrap episode 50 up at this point and um stay tuned for episode 51 i'm already working on it and i hope i hope <laughs> i hope to bring it to you guys in about a week or two so as we wrap up uh, as you go about your daily duties uh you know be safe out there um don't do what i wouldn't do and i will talk to you guys hopefully in a few days all right this is your boy mr james carrington signing off yeah, hold on to that fumble call. Sasa said, Yeah, Tim Fat, now my polish is nice. I'm on every hour, dear. Girl, you blow my mind and go for the air, you do. Cause I think about you all the time and all other things you do. Girl, you make out a week, oh. You make a week, oh. Girl, you make out a week, oh. You make a week, oh. Semen, she out of the meeting, yeah.
ni mikoko Osombo crash and go Kame jibi sebe dodo Mema undi ya bobo Saun kame huwa mifili soko Manu proko Esu bobo Beji midowa yo show We go blow control Best row you be miss flow Baby you make a nice up You make a rise up You be my life boy Uniwa life boy Spice up my life boy Why I go the lion My boy Flow king Say me do say so Girl you make a rico You make a rico Girl you make a rico Peace on the beat.